Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a success story. I wanted to tell you about my friend Carl up in New Boston, Michigan. He listens to our pods every week, and he heard me talking about how I might be able to help him out. So he hit me up over at SaveWithConrad.com. He just closed last month and he left us a five-star review and he had this to say, not only did we save over a hundred thousand dollars on our mortgage by removing several years off of it. He also saved us a few months of payments and follow up. Conrad and Steve are super helpful. When I had additional questions, you can't go wrong here with save with Conrad. Definitely worth the call to understand what your savings could be. Take Carl's word for it. He saved more than a hundred grand. What have you got to lose? Be like Carl, go to savewithconrad.com right now and find out how much money you can save for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Why not you? Why not now? Go to savewithconrad.com and find out how much money you can save for free. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get a quick quote right now. You'll thank me later and you'll be glad you did. Savewithconrad.com. There's no better time to say I love you. And the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate Stevensinger.com and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection that is no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry, Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for more than two decades, but recently he's kicked up everything a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online too. And that's just the beginning gifts that say, I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It's easy. Just go to, I hate fast, free and safe shipping. Steven Singer jewelers. That's I hate Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. Say something about I don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Scared to shock you. Thank you, Bruce. Ah,
machine. God damn, kid. God damn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Pronoun. Ow. And now, something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. Eek. The second most record now happening in the entire world today. Uh, Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey, Vince. Mushrooms look good tonight. Yeah. They're so big. Yeah. Let's go. Bullshit. Welcome to WrestleMania. World title now. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. And joining us, of course, is someone who is, uh, Allegedly very stressed, sleepy, and tired. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, how are you, man? Well, you know, it's funny uh, how the news cycles go these days, isn't it? Well, I thought it was interesting that when I said, if I had to guess, Bruce would be stressed, trying to create TV in a pandemic, five hours worth a week. I can't imagine how stressful that must be. And then, of course, fans are worried about WWE executive who's stressed. Uh, is that breaking news, buddy? That working for WWE, creating live TV on broadcast television is a stressful gig? I didn't think that was that newsworthy. Well, there's cable too. <laughs> who could forget three hours of cable TV, too? Man, I'm just glad that you're still able to uh, make a little time. Even though, uh, we do wind up recording these shows at the crack of dawn. So you're sleepy and tired when we do them, but we have gotten such good feedback about us revisiting the good old days or well, maybe the not so good old days. Uh, we just did the old days. It's just old. There you go. Just old days. We did in your house. The very first one on June 5th, we were back at you talking about Kevin Nash on June, uh, July 10th. And today we're talking in your house. Number two from 1995. I don't know why, man, but I feel like 1995 is like a new gold mine for us. I feel like we've spent a lot of time on this show talking about the golden era, you know, Hogan, Savage demolition, that sort of timeline. And then fast forward to the attitude era. I feel like we've spent a bunch of time there. But I don't think that we've really spent a lot of time on the transition years. And I guess 95 to use like a sports franchise term was a bit of a rebuilding year. Fair to say. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, uh, you said, did you say transitional years? It's like a transitional champion. This will be the transitional year. Well, we're coming off the horrific king of the ring, 1995 show, which we, uh, we talked about a little bit on our Kevin Nash episode. Mabel has gone over, uh, diesel and bam, bam, Bigelow are going to main event against Sid and Tatanka. And we're moving on to in your house Two after King of the ring 95 and Meltzer would write in the observer. All that we know right now for in your house Two on July 23rd in Nashville is that it will have diesel and Sid and what was advertised on television as a lumberjack match. Although there have been rumors that it may be changed to a cage match for the title on top 
I'll also have Jeff Jarrett defending and probably losing the intercontinental title to Shawn Michaels and what will be the show stealer Bret Hart versus Hakushi Bam Bam Bigelow versus King Kong Bundy coming as the third show in a nine day period following the Shamrock Severin match in the UFC, which is going down on July 14th and the Hogan, uh, Vader cage match on July 16th. The WWF may find itself in a very rare position coming in third in a three-way race. This is something you and I haven't talked a lot about, but in the pay-per-view era, which there we go, doesn't even seem like it should be a thing. But back then your major promotions would have pay-per-views and, and, and obviously WCW is one of those and the WWF is one of those, but so is this new outfit, the UFC and the, this is sort of pre ultimate fighter. This is back before the UFC was more mainstream. It was still underground in the beginning stages, if you will, how much of the planning went into how do we, a avoid that same day? B avoid the same weekend. And was there a strategy to let's get in front of them or let's be at the end of them? Like, did you guys do like a and B testing on from a financial standpoint with the idea being that every American household doesn't have just endless amounts of disposable cash. Some folks are going to have to pick honey. We can afford to get this one or this one and that one, but not the other one. Did that type of conversation happen when it came to competing for household dollars with all this competition in the pay-per-view landscape? Well, I don't think that anybody was looking at you at UFC as competition and it was a completely different product and something that appealed to a different audience as well. It was a crossover. Of course there was, but I think that if anything, the, the other folks that were doing pay-per-view were probably looking at us and wondering what we were going to do and when. However, in the same breath, we had made the commitment to go monthly and making the commitment to go monthly. You've got to realize at that point that you are out there and there's going to be competition from anybody and everybody. So you either have to decide to be out there or not be out there. We had made the decision. Let's go for it and put our head down and move forward. What was the thinking in trying to compete? I mean, what must it have been like for Vince, I guess is what I'm driving to that now he finds himself competing with his own creation of sorts. I mean, I know that Hulk Hogan was a thing before he came to Vince, but with Vince's help, Hulk Hogan became a, a household name and it sort of becomes a chicken in the egg conversation, I guess, because people argue, you know, who helped make who Well, clearly both helped each other. But now when Vince is sort of struggling to find his next big thing and get a guy over like he has before with Hulk Hogan, he also finds himself competing with Hulk Hogan. And we say on the show all the time that you guys used to ask when it came to marketing someone like Brett or perhaps even diesel, what would we do for Hogan? And now while you're trying to sort of recreate the magic from Hogan, damn it. He's a competitor for you too. That's gotta be a, a catch 22 type situation. It is and more than anything. I think that it probably hurt Vince mm -hmm. that he was even in that position of having to deal with Hulk on this side of the fence. So I think you take care of your own business. You just look at your own shop and go from there. 
and probably one of the biggest deterrents to what we did over the years was acknowledging Turner and trying to, you know, discredit them, if you will, and, and talk about them because we just gave them more and more publicity. We, by acknowledging them and, and moving on, it gives them more publicity. And when we just said, you know what, they're going to be there, screw it, take care of your own business and focus on what it is that you do best and not what everybody else does. Because you, in history, you go down and you look at every single one of those promoters that when Vince made his national expansion, Vince went to all of them, tried to buy them out or bring them in. They all said, you know what? No, man, I'm going to put you out of business. They started focusing on Vince and what Vince was doing, and they forgot about what they had at home, and they stopped taking care of it. And that's the reason that the local promoters went out of business and the reason that they weren't able to continue to do business for all those years because they were, okay, you're going to come, you're going to come into Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Well then by God, we're going to go into New York city. <laughs> and that, but that's what they did. Jim Crockett sitting there in Charlotte, wasn't happy being the king of Charlotte and being the king of, of the East coast you know, on the Southern end, wanted to go into, oh, by God, I'll come into New York city. So that was, that was the downfall of Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, it was downfall of Bill Watts, you know, Jerry Jarrett, uh, for as much as he lacks a lot in acumen, um, at least just stayed in Tennessee and didn't venture out. And, and made money. Well, for himself. Yeah, that's what I mean. Nobody else did, but he did. Uh, let's talk about somebody else who's making the news here. Meltzer would write, it appears that the Ultimate Warrior will be, will be making his first wrestling appearance in the United States in almost two and a half years on July 22nd for promoter TC Martin in Las Vegas. In this era, you would occasionally hear, oh, the Ultimate Warrior's coming back, but he's doing this shot in Las Vegas, or he's going to be over here in uh, Australia or whatever. These sort of random one-off ultimate warrior appearances promoters were rolling the dice in a big way. I'm sure giving him a major payday in the process, and it would create a little bit of at least underground buzz. And that has to be attractive to Vince, even though Vince knows, Hey man, this, this has not worked multiple times now. But every time somebody mentions his name, it gets attention and by God, that's what we're looking for. Does that even cross Vince's mind here in 95? Or are you so fresh on the, the previous sort of back and forth lawsuit situation? And maybe it's just not in the budget. You just know economically what he's going to ask for and where our business is right now. We can't even have that conversation. What can you tell us about that? Do you think Vince had any sort of interest in this newfound underground buzz about, Oh, the ultimate warrior might be back. Well, we just thought to whoever had him good luck and thank God it's you and not us. Let's uh, talk about something going on at the raw tapings in June. Meltzer says we don't have any details on the raw taping on June 26th and Danville PA other than what aired live and the TV main event, Jarrett retained his title, getting a DQ against Vega when the roadie interfered. 
Michaels, who was doing commentary with Lawler absent, wound up fighting with Rhodey just before the finish and ended up cleaning house on both Rhodey and Jarrett to start the build for the IC title match. Jarrett was really good in carrying the match. They announced Bigelow versus Sid as a TV main event for July 3rd. Lawler did an interview with the new storyline basically being that because of what Hart did to him, his breath is bad and his teeth are in rough shape. And his dentist, Dr. Isaac Yankum, is so mad he's coming to the WWF to get revenge on Bret Hart. Lawler said Yankum used to be a pro wrestler under an assumed name, which makes me think it will be Shane Douglas. We'll know for sure by next week. So, Meltzer Freestyle's guess that the, uh, the evil dentist will be Shane Douglas. It turns out, no, Shane Douglas is going to be an evil teacher. The mayor of Knox County is going to be the evil dentist. Uh, tell everybody the, uh, the gimmick behind how we got this name, Isaac Yankum. But is it just now that you're figuring out that, uh, Meltzer was taking a guess? It's all he ever has done. It's all he ever will do is just guess. Cause he's doesn't know, um, you know, and the report, well, we don't have any reports other than what I got to see on TV. Cause I didn't know a fan in the area to give me their, their dirt, um, or their opinion. So anyway, what the fuck was the question? No, Isaac Yankum, uh, Isaac Yankum was something, uh, <laughs> you know, I've had a lot of dental dental work and different things done over the years. So, the one thing I've always kept in my back of my mind was old Dr. Um, I Yankum. That's, that's his name, Isaac Yankum. I Yankum. And that's an old Bobby Heenan joke that he loved that. Just talking about his dentist and everybody would go to. Go, oh, you're going to go see Dr. Yankum. Isaac Yankum. I Yankum. Ha 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 ha. And it was just one of those characters that literally everybody, no matter how old you are, has a dentist story. Yeah, nobody most, wants to go to the dentist. Most people, you won't go to the dentist? I said most people don't want to go to the dentist. I go twice a year every year. Yeah, well, after my last experiences, I'm, I'm reconsidering that too. What is uh, it with, anyway. with, when all of my podcast co-hosts go to work for Vince, their teeth start falling out. What's, what's, what's up? What's up the water cooler up there in the office? No, mine were falling out when back before when <laughs> it didn't help when Brock Lesnar broke your face either. I mean, there, you, that didn't help either. No. Did you know that refinancing credit card balances can lower your interest rate and save you money and you don't have to be a financial expert to do it. Get a fixed rate credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream and you could save thousands in interest. Rates start at 5.95% APR with AutoPay and excellent credit. That's much lower than the average credit card interest rate of more than 19% APR. Get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 with absolutely no fees and the application is 100% online. In fact, you can even get your money in your bank account as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. And they delivered that to me. I've told this story on the show for years now. Uh, I've never done a credit card consolidation loan, but I have borrowed money from Lightstream.com. I got the best car loan I ever had. I heard they were like making it really simple online. 
And man, they did. I think this was back in 2015 even, but it was a couple of quick clicks. I was approved right away. They overnighted me a check. Boom. I was good to go. I had everything I needed at the, at the best interest rate I ever had on a car loan. The very next day it was in my hand. I got to go to the dealership and shop like a cash buyer. Now I'm only telling you that because if they took care of me on a car loan, I know they're going to take care of you when it comes to your credit card debt. They make it fast. They make it easy. And there's never been a better deal that I had. I can't recommend this. If you've got great credit, if you've got excellent credit, woof, they are humming over here, buddy. My listeners can apply right now for a special interest rate discount and save even more. And the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L I G H T S T R E A M dot com slash wrestle. Lightstream.com slash wrestle. Of course, this is subject to credit approval. Rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. Seriously, check it out. Lightstream.com slash wrestle. No. It's just funny to me that that this evil dentist became a thing. And this was very much in the uh, occupational era of gimmicks, if you will. But it's just. uh, I don't know. It's fun to look back at the tremendous career that Kane had and know that once upon a time, Jim Cornette made him dress up like a Christmas tree and Vince McMahon made him dress up like an evil dentist. And he came out. Jim his Cornette thing. didn't do that. That was Jerry Jarrett. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> He's a fucking mayor now. Um, Meltzer would say rumor has it Dustin Rhodes signed this past week and should be in shortly. You guys already had the idea for gold dust ahead of that. We've talked about that in the archives. Go listen to our Dustin Rhodes episode. It is an epic episode, like five or six hours worth. Meltzer would also say lots of talk regarding Titan and the USA network, but my feeling is it's all talk. Meltzer would say that Titan's contract with the USA network was set to expire at the end of December. And the story that's been reported in many places is the current deal for three shows is that USA pays Titan $12,000 a week and Titan gets to keep two minutes of advertising time uh, to either sell or for its own use. Titan wants that increase to five minutes of advertising time and is using the e-network as negotiating leverage. Monday night raw is on a phenomenal ratings run with it often being the highest rated regular weekly show on cable. Ratings of the other two shows, while nowhere near that level, are competitive for their time slot. However, the E-Network only reaches about 28 million homes, as opposed to 65 million homes for the USA Network. So really, there's no leverage there at all. With syndication dwindling, Titan simply can't afford that kind of a loss at exposure, so it just isn't going to happen. So this is one of the first times that I remember Vince trying to figure out a new TV deal. And man, I hope that you take that piece of the notes and you show that to Vince that once upon a time you were getting $12,000 a week. <laughs> oh my God. It's a whole new ball game now. Is it not my friend? It's a little bit different ball game altogether. just in, in every landscape. So yes, without a doubt, it was different times and different ways of looking at the business, but at the same time, it was not just settling for what you had and saying, okay, well, we've got this deal. It was still going out looking for a better deal uh, financially. And look, even then, 
based on the way that networks were paying for programming from syndication to cable and everywhere in between, it was, what about us? You know, great. You're, you're paying us a small production fee is kind of how I looked at it. Um, but they should have been paying more back then too. And takes a while sometimes. I mean, really, it is remarkable to think about how far the wrestling business has come that once upon a time, the biggest around was only getting 12 grand a week, allegedly, and, and keeping two minutes of advertising time, which is oof, night and day from where we are right now. Did you, you guys have any sort of hesitation, you know, when you know that Vince is trying to leverage the e-network, but we also know that that show is a fraction of the size of USA network. Was there any concern that, man, we might, we might be on the verge of losing the USA deal. I think every time that the contract came up for renewal, there was talk of, you know, should we stay or should we go? And is the grass greener on the other side? Right. That look, if you're in business, you have to do that. Otherwise you're cheating yourself. And I would dare say those conversations take place every time that that contract would have come around. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it just feels like, you know, especially when you know, cause here's the thing, although it's easy to look at that and say, well, they're just getting 12 grand in a couple of minutes of commercials. No, they're really getting an opportunity to sell pay-per-view, to sell live events, to sell merch, to grow their brand and expose themselves to this huge audience. So. There's more to it than just the money. Um, but money is obviously something that's very important in this era. And nobody knows that perhaps better than Matt Osborne. Meltzer is going to write that the company would file suit against him. He's 37 years old and the former doink, the clown and Meltzer would write Titan is asking a federal judge to order Osborne who now lives in Elwood city, Pennsylvania to stop using the doink name and gimmick on independent shows. According to the lawsuit, Osborne, who was better known in his pre-Doink days as second-generation wrestler Maniac Matt Bourne, had promised Titan he would stop appearing as Doink, but has refused to put that in writing. Titan is claiming trademark infringement because Osborne appeared as Doink, among other places, April 21st in Elwood City and March 17th at Plum High School near Pittsburgh. Titan attorney Jerry McDivitt was quoted in an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette Gazette, easy for me to say, saying Titan would go to court if necessary against anyone using the doink name and gimmick. My God, dude, the, why does, why does the company care? This feels like we're throwing resources and money after something that in the scheme of things is rather insignificant. Am I wrong on that? Yeah. Tell me why I'm wrong. Okay. Do you want somebody opening up a first family mortgage? Down the street from you, buddy, if they want to dress themselves up like a clown and do it in front of a couple hundred people at a plum high school near Pittsburgh, wear it out. Cause it fucking, then if they, you let them do it there, then they're going to be able to, you have to let them do it, uh, in Huntsville. You got to let them do it in Birmingham. You got to let them do it in New York city. If you don't do something about it, it's, it's IP. It's some, it's creation that we came up with that we own, that we invested in. So, you know, as has been the case, 
Mc- taken that creation and had other people portray that character because the, the creation was something that we did. McDivitt came out really strong in the newspaper though, saying that the real thing that they're trying to avoid is getting some stink on themselves because Matt Bourne has run into some legal problems. He was arrested on June 13th, charged with a domestic abuse claim uh, from a dispute with his girlfriend jailed in his hometown of Elwood city released two days later on a thousand dollars bond. Either way though, the quote from Jerry is this guy was arrested and people think, oh, that's Titan's character. Titan is very concerned about the image of its wrestlers. That's part of the reason you don't want people using your trademark because it dilutes the meaning of your trademark. Matt Bourne is a guy we've talked a lot about in our doink episode, which is available in the archives, but it's sad to see that a guy with this much talent at 37 years old, he's got himself in a bit of a mess here and it doesn't feel like he's going to pull the nose up. No, and it's, it's really sad because Matt was such a great talent and Matt was someone that could offer so much, not just to the product at the time, but Matt was one of those unique talent that was able to teach and able to take somebody and groom them coming up and be able to explain why he did what he did and where to put certain things in matches and and what makes sense and what doesn't. So from that perspective, Matt, yeah, Matt was missed. And I think that Matt could have done a whole lot more for himself and for the business. Meltzer would update the card here. Uh, and he would say the latest information for in your house two from Nashville is that diesel versus Sid will be a lumberjack with 30 lumberjacks. Some of these names include Hunter Hearst Helmsley, uh, Duke, Duke Drose, man, mountain rock techno team, 2000, and a lot of others, but those really stood out to me. Of course, who could forget Mantar? Uh, he would also say, thank you for that. Uh, two matches have been changed in regards to the local hype in Nashville. The Bigelow King Kong Bundy match wasn't announced on TV and may be dropped since Bundy has been out of action lately, apparently from pneumonia. Red Hart's opponent has been switched from Hakushi to Lafitte. And also on the show will be Jeff Jarrett versus Sean for the Intercontinental title, with Jarrett doing a live concert of the song that he's done on video. Apparently, there will be a screw up with the lip syncing to reveal that it's really Rhodey who's been doing the singing. And it was Rhodey's voice and Jarrett just lip syncing. Rhodey will take on one, two, three kid. Owen Hart will team up with Yokozuna to defend the tag titles against Davey boy and Lex Luger. While the switch from Hakushi to, uh, quote unquote, the pirate, it feels like this goddamn pirate stole his jacket. I'm with you on that, but I'm saying you guys scripted Dude, that. You got to throw down. If somebody steals your jacket, man. Ben Pareya. I, I just, uh, selfishly, I wish we would have gotten a little more Brett Hakushi. Not so much for you. No, I actually, I would have loved to have had more Brett and Hakushi as well. I thought that they had uh good chemistry and good matches, but the feeling overall was at this time it felt like Brett just wanted to, you know, have matches and, and be done, eat up opponents pretty quickly. So, after their match, it just felt like, damn, what else are you going to do? 
a big wasn't part. A lot left. There wasn't a whole lot left for Hakushi to do and or get any heat. <sighs> Bruce, I started doing this show with you because I wanted to get the real story about some of wrestling's biggest moments when I was growing up. And here we are like four or five years later, and we basically do a show where you rib me week in and week out. But you know what isn't a rib, Bruce? The pain relieving CBD topicals from CBDMD. Listen, I know that CBDMD's products are legit. They go the extra mile to create safe and effective products. They provide third party lab reports to prove you're getting the real thing. They have an independent verification that their products are made to FDA standards. In fact, CBDMD's entire operation, from their hemp farms to customer service center, it's all based right here in the USA. They've won a ton of awards, but most importantly, CBDMD's products work. And this has been my personal experience. I've told you before that I've got some torn stuff in a knee and uh, I don't want to go get surgery. I'm just uh, hesitant to do that, but I'm not hesitating these days to slather a little CBDMD. And I like the combination with menthol. And I realize that's not for everybody. They do have non-menthol options, but man, that combination really, really worked for me. I can't recommend it enough. So yeah, CBDMD does things right, but there's a bunch of other CBD companies out there that kayfabe customers left and right with cheap gimmicks like free 30 day supply scams that end up being a subscription that's hard to get out of or some other form of a high pressure tactic. And maybe their products contain very little or any actual CBD. And they make some outrageous miracle health claims sometimes. The list goes on and on. But let me tell you, I'm glad I started with CBDMD instead of the shit heels over at CBDRS. I don't care what Bruce says. Seriously, folks, if you want to try CBD for yourself or you want to turn a friend on to it, I can't recommend these guys enough. It's CBDMD. And you can tell from our copy today, these guys are wrestling fans who listen to the show. They're just like me and you, but they're trying to help us feel a little better. It's working at my household. It'll work at yours. Don't take my word for it. Head on over to cbdmd.com and try the promo code DUTE. You heard me. D-O-O-T at checkout for 25% off of your entire order. That's right. 25% off. They're already incredible prices. Trust me, I've looked around and this is a serious deal. Go check it out right now. It's cbdmd.com and you'll get 20% off your entire order of superior CBD products by using the promo code DOOT, D-O-O-T at checkout. You'll be really glad you did. That's cbdmd.com, the 16-time world heavyweight champion of the CBD industry. A big part of, of what we're going to be talking about today is Jeff Jarrett and the way he's going to wind up leaving the world wrestling federation. But this is the first time that I would read, you know, in this particular issue of the observer, that there is a concert planned where they're going to reveal that not only did Jeff lose his title, but he's also been exposed. He's a fraud. He wasn't singing. It was the roadie. When did you get the, the inclination or the feeling that uh, we might have a problem with Jeff. Literally not until that night. Okay. We'll if get anybody to... tells you any different, and I know Jeff has got a different side of the story. Um, the, you know, the only thing was, was that 
he never indicated to any of us, uh, when I say any of us, specifically myself or Pat Patterson, who had pretty much been given him this story all the way along. And this was, this was not something that was just sprung on him or anybody else. It was a story that we had laid out for quite some time. Uh, Meltzer would also say that uh, on those same tapings in Danville on June 26, besides the live hour of raw that aired that night, they also had Lex Luger and Davey boy going over Henry Godwin and Tatanka with Tatanka being pinned because of course we need Henry Godwin protected. Uh, the one, two, three kid returned and looked pretty damn good for a guy who broke his neck two months ago. That according to Dave Meltzer, he also says that Waylon mercy debuted and here's the way he described the gimmick. His gimmick is interesting as he shakes hands with the ref and his opponent and then goes psycho during the match, using the sleeper as a finisher. His wrestling is really bad though. I did think it's fun that this is the first time we see Waylon mercy and that's the takeaway. He shakes their hands and then he goes psycho. I mean, I guess that's kind of the write-up if you had to describe it, but it does feel like the character is so much more than that. Yeah. He was a very sick and demented individual that once you get into the arena and you get into the match and everything starts, there's something that snaps in him that makes him go crazy. But uh, outside, he's a very deceptive individual in that you you want to trust him because he's so damn nice and he can be a very charming person. So coming down, I will embrace all of the fans. I'll embrace the referee as well as my opponent, but, uh, you just don't know what to, you don't know what to make of him. In the main event that airs on July 3rd, Sid's going to beat Bam Bam Bigelow when Godwin pushes Bigelow off the top rope. And after the match, Sid power bombs Bigelow as well. Is the bloom off the rose for Bigelow at this point? I mean, we're not too terribly far removed from WrestleMania where he's main eventing against Lawrence Taylor, but now we've got Sid beating him and a power bomb afterwards. And it looks like Godwin's going to be involved. How much influence is this of backstage politics or why is Bigelow scooting down the cards? I don't know. There's anything to do with backstage politics. It's more of an issue of Sean turning babyface and being on that side when we had been looking at Bigelow, you know, kind of being that new babyface that was going to emerge after WrestleMania. And when Sean emerged, it was, you've only got so much of a spotlight to share. You know, Sean stepped into that spotlight and Sean took it and ran with it. And I don't think that Bam Bam was somebody that, you know, really took it and ran with it the way that he could have. And it, it just was it kind of fizzled out more than anything. We, we were expecting Bam Bam to have a lot more momentum coming out of WrestleMania. Oh man. Let's keep going. The superstars taping on June 27th in Bethlehem PA included the debut of the Jarrett video, which was really good. During a skip squash, Sonny said, you remember that video? How did it go? Bruce? What, what was the, the gist of it? Do you recall? Uh, yeah, well, 
God damn, I'm going to have to go back in my... Spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. You know my baby's got me wrapped around her little old finger, and you know that I would walk through hell and back to be with her. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. Hi. Where did y'all produce that video? Do you recall? Yeah, the studio. Oh, that was all at the studio? Yeah. I thought there was some sort of stage or something with, with folks there. I didn't realize it was Oh, 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 you mean the 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 uh, music video? That was at a little club in Connecticut somewhere. Um we just kept doing it over and over, and then the rest of it was done in the studio. Let's uh, let's talk about something. Turn the lights off, bolt the door. We'll leave every worry in the world behind. How many more times do you think we're going to hear that on SmackDown? I don't know. I got to tell you, my phone blew up when uh, it happened most recently, and everybody was like, oh, we know who booked this shit. Which <laughs> made me laugh because... I don't know that that song would be as, uh, popular or over or whatever. If you hadn't started singing it like a goof on this show four years ago, why got, why got singing like a goof? I'm a damn good singer. That's ha! Well, stupid honey, okay. what do you say? I got a brand new record. Oh I got a place. She says, not now, boy, but I did yeah. anyway. Cause I'm ready. Um, uh, let's talk about Godwin here. On this superstars taping on July 27th, Meltzer would say the only real angle was during a Godwin Adam bomb match, which only went 41 seconds. Godwin, after a double count out finish poured the slot bucket on Adam bomb. How excited was Vince for the slot bucket? This feels like a Vince ism all day. Love the slot bucket. Just was it was great. It was nasty. It was something that a that a hog farmer would do. You got to carry around your bucket of slop. By God, somebody's gonna get slopped. What? I don't even know what to say. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, Henry Godwin is a very imposing figure, even in real life now. Like he is a fucking man mountain. Uh, I saw him a few years ago at a convention and I did a double take like that. looks like that kid. Holy shit. He's still a big man. Uh, Vince is in love with the gimmick or the size and the slot bucket. What was it about Henry O that he thought was going to be a hit? Is this the, the new, more badass hillbilly Jim? Chat me up. Yeah. I think, you know, going back in time and you look at some of the characters throughout the years, like Haystacks Calhoun. Um, hillbilly Jim is a good one that those down home characters really resonated with the audience and Henry O. Godwin was someone that we were looking to kind of step up and, and take that place, but we'd never had a mean hog farmer before. And the idea behind it was to get tap into a nasty side of Henry and just see that he can be pretty damn mean spirited and get out there with, you know, a, a different edge in his work and his promos and, and let his promos be a little sick. But at the end of it, kind of like the, the snake, 
you didn't get the snake on you, you got the slop. Let's keep it going. There's challenge and action zones tapings happening on July 28th. And this is pretty notable because we're going to get Barry Horowitz pinning skip here when skips doing pushups and Horowitz does a side roll for the pin after the match skip would demand a rematch and Horowitz said he couldn't beat him within 10 minutes. I don't know if they did a rematch that night or they're saving it for the road, but the gimmick is they tease a time limit, but skip wins in like nine minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, debuting with Spellbinder from Memphis, doing a magician-like gimmick, either as Maurice the Magnificent or Magnificent Maurice. My God, there's so much on this set of tapings. Let's start with the magician first. Chat me up on the magician gimmick. Well, Kingfish, um... Jerry Lawler had a guy. <laughs> um, his name was Del something. Del Rios. Del Rios. And he's a magician. Oh my God, it's great. He does these these magic tricks during the match. And what if we could do this? What if we could do that? So we started thinking about the possibility and the endless possibility of a real magician being able to, to do things in the middle of a match, like make someone disappear and one, two, and he's gone. Hey, I'm over here. Um, yeah, you know, illusion and magic is a little bit different. Needs a lot more set up and, lot more a uh, talent than Del Rio's had. So we did, you know, this was his debut. Just see what the hell was there. And <laughs> God damn. <laughs> it's another one of those fucking bell ring, man. And, and he had to do something and it was the, it was, the Fantasio, am I saying it right? That's what you guys were calling him. Phantasmo or Fantasia or something like that. I don't I think it's Fantasio. Yeah. It was El Shito. There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate Stevensinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection that is no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry, Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for more than two decades, but recently he's kicked up everything a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online, too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. 
That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Um, he was horrible. But his, but his, his, his magic. Do you know who Marshall Brodeen is? No. Okay. Well, some of our older fans, uh, my when I was a kid, there used to be a commercial on TV. You know, Saturday morning cartoons, and you'd wake up and you'd watch that cartoon block from seven in the morning till. Like, oh, the 11. guy who sold magic on TV. It was Marshall Burdine. Marshall Burdine, you know, hey, get your Marshall Burdine magic kit. You can do magic just like the pros. And he had the mark cards. He had all the little fucking uh, simple magic tricks in there and all this shit. So a kid down the street where we live put on a magic show for us one day. And... It's just kids in the neighborhood went up to you know his house and he had the whole thing set up and I remember he poured rice into a newspaper like curled up into a cone and then he poured rice krispies out on the other side and after seeing that man I had to be a magician I went right home and I got a newspaper and I curled the newspaper up and I poured a bunch of rice in the thing. And I said the right words. I did all the shit that he did. And when I poured it out, I still had rice. And then I explained to my mom that the reason I only had rice was because I didn't have a Marshall Brodeen magic kit. And if I could only get my hands on one of these, I'll be able to take care of the whole damn family. Until I was old enough to get my wrestling license. Because I could be a magician as a kid. I knew I could do it. Well, Fantasio, I think, still fucking was working off of that Marshall Brodeen fucking uh, magic kit. And it was the shits. He just had the shit that came out of his mouth. He had little poppers and shit that... It was terrible. And then... The fucker set Gorilla on fire with his liquid fire shit. Now think about that. <laughs> now think about now think about this. This son of a bitch had a bottle, and it was called liquid fire, so that with this liquid you could make fire with it. You know, it was a magician thing. Doesn't tell anybody what the fuck he's gonna do. We're in a small little, like, high school doing TV. My gorilla position is uh, inside on the gym floor where you're warned 400 times a day whenever you're in one of those, don't fuck up my gym floor. Um, and I've got curtains around me, a lot of electrical equipment. And this son of a bitch dropped his bottle of liquid fire. Well, whenever this shit makes contact or whatever the hell the dynamic was, he set Gorilla on fire. Gorilla Monsoon is on actual fire. No, 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 no. The Gorilla position. Okay. If Gorilla Monsoon had been on fire, <laughs> we wouldn't be talking about that's not what we would be talking about right now. We would be talking about the day that Del Rios got his ass whooped by a fucking 60 year old man. Um, 
I didn't think Gino was that old at the time. But still, like, it's going up. And the truck is calling, where is he? Where is he? I said, hey, man, um, this stupid fucker just set gorilla, I mean, uh, set gorilla on fire. I need uh, fire extinguishers, somebody here now, because I can't get out. Because I'm cornered, and the fire is around me. And this guy's standing there with his hands out, like, <coughs> oh, shit, I said, I set this on fire. I've never worked like this before. So finally, somebody came, their little fire extinguisher thing right there. Sent him out to go have his match. He came back. I said, what the fuck were you thinking? I said, forget about the fact that you damn near killed me and set me on fire and the whole rest of the gym. What made you think that you could just walk out there and do fire tricks? We're in an enclosed place. There's a fire marshal. We don't spring this kind of shit up on fire marshals and just say, oh, it's a trick. It's TV. Because obviously that's real fucking fire. Obviously all this shit burnt around here is from that fucking fire. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was a wonderful piece of work. What a weird, weird gimmick. I mean, to be clear, we've now got a, a pig farmer, <laughs> a garbage man, an evil dentist, a half man, half beast, and now a magician. A shitty magician. Perhaps the biggest magician of all though, Barry Horowitz finally getting a win. Uh, this was all over my feed last week because we just passed or a couple weeks ago, rather. Uh, but we just passed the, uh, the anniversary of this and my goodness, he finally gets a win and it is, it is a moment. Is it not? Yeah, it was a great moment. I mean, it was something different. They think that whenever they see Barry Horowitz in the ring that it's going to be a loss for Barry and for him to win and catch that upset was a huge deal. Got a tremendous pop. They went banana. Let's, uh, I mean, I think this is, I mean, I know that in hindsight, some people would say, oh, what's the big deal. But at the time, Barry Horowitz was the, I mean, he was like, what George South was to Crockett TV, Barry Horowitz was even more on WWF TV. He was the perennial underneath guy, enhancement talent. He's here to take your finishes and sell for you and make you look good. And then holy shit, he wins one. The fans are really, really excited. And he had to have the right opponent for it. And man, did Skip and Sonny sell it well. I thought this was very well done and it was fun to watch. It, it was very well done, and it came from a deal that we had done in Global where Barry was the winner and won one match, and we made him a championship out of tuna fish cans in a weight belt, I believe it was. But it was, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, we'll try to... Uh... Uh, to find a clip and, and share it on our social over at Pritchard show. 
Meltzer would write the head shrinkers have been broken up. Fatu is getting a new gimmick with the same name now being from San Francisco, which is a shoot as a street gang type of guy telling kids to stay in school and not use drugs. Boy, if I too, with this gimmick, didn't stand a chance, did he? Well, no, it was actually something he really wanted to do. And it was something that he felt very passionate about by going out and talking to the kids and being a part of his community and living in San Francisco, there was a lot of gang violence and he felt that, Hey, if we could have this character on television, it may add a little bit more credibility and credence to what he was doing in real life. Let's, uh, let's talk about some news and notes that make the observer in mid July, the end of a mythical era in WWF came to an end on Wednesday when president Jack Tunney resigned, at least according to WWF storyline. Both Tunney and his longtime associate Billy Red Lions out of the Toronto office are no longer affiliated with the WWF due to the company wanting to more aggressively promote and build up other avenues of business, such as merchandising throughout Canada. It was part of a major week long house cleaning of the WWF front office, which saw numerous key people in the promotions, public relations, and pay per view departments let go, including bigwigs like Rex Lardner. Skip, boy, you're gonna have to help me with the last name here, Bruce. Des Jardins. Skip Dayardine. Okay, there you go. I'd have never gotten that one. What about Steve Planamenta? How's that yeah. one? Uh, the WWF hadn't released any official statement or comment regarding these cutbacks, which some within wrestling are attributing to Titan's immense legal bills and real estate costs as the downturn of the wrestling industry. While there are no figures available that I consider consider reliable enough to print as far as King of the ring within wrestling, it is widely being said. It was the lowest buy rate in company history. And those within the company have termed both the apparent lack of buys and the poor choice or poor show as a major wake up call to the promotion. A company will now open up a new Canadian office, which will be headed by Carl DeMarco, the former business agent of Bret Hart. Tony and Lyons had run the WWF operations in Ontario since 84 when Tony had a falling out with Jim Crockett Jr. and ended his business relationship with the Crockett office. Tony, whose uncle Frank was a legendary promoter during the heyday of Toronto where crowds would routinely flock to 15,000 or more at the Maple Leaf Gardens every other Sunday afternoon for 12 match shows headlined by three minute main events by the Sheik had taken over the business when Frank passed away. Frank Tunney and Vince McMahon senior were longtime friends and both men and even their wives took wrestling vacations together. So a big shakeup. Uh, most of these names are not going to be familiar to us fans with the exception of Jack Tunney. I mean, he was the figurehead president of the company or head of the company for, it felt like my entire life up to this point, I guess he was, um, but I guess maybe the bigger shakeup. Or some of these other names. What can you tell us about Steve, Rex, or Skip? It, not much. I mean, they were three guys in the office that not really much to them. Steve was the PR guy. Rex was like marketing and PR, um, just kind of revamping of that that particular department. And as far as Jack Tunney goes, it was a strategic move for Canada 
Jack wasn't necessarily interested in promoting all of Canada, uh, especially on the West End, Vancouver, Calgary, places like that, that Jack wanted to do Toronto. Jack wanted to do Toronto and in his area, and that was it. The offer was made to Jack to work with us and to continue working with us and be a part of the company. And that wasn't something that Jack was interested in doing if he didn't have all of Toronto. And it was no different than any other place that we had co-promoters in that, look, we, we were changing the way that we do business. And Jack didn't want to be a part of that change and felt it was better for him to leave rather than, than stay around and participate in something that he didn't want to do. What does that mean? Participate in something he didn't want to do. Jack didn't want to, Jack didn't want to promote any place else other than Toronto. Jack didn't want to go to Vancouver and, and promote shows or Montreal and all those other places. Jack just wanted to stay in Toronto. So he didn't want to be a part of anything else and just wanted to have his own little area there, you know, Hamilton, Ontario and, uh, things like that. So I guess my question yeah, is, I'm, I'm, more. I'm not asking this to be stupid, but help me out. Cause I don't understand what other option does he have? Like if this is his primary, was this his primary income? Like, it's not like at this point, WCW is going to start running Toronto or did he think maybe since they had Hogan, they would. I, I don't know really what his thinking was, but it was, I, th I also think that Jack was pretty well off and didn't need it. He had had a very successful career and it was something that he wasn't looking to, you know, necessarily do for the rest of his life. And maybe at that point, he just wanted to retire too. And this kind of helped nudge him in that direction. Hey, real quick, can you imagine what a bunch of badasses the Legion of Doom felt like riding to the ring at SummerSlam 92? Or how badass The Undertaker felt when he was the American badass riding down to the ring? Well, now you can recreate all of that and have a little fun outdoors with the Rad Power Bike. Man, electric bikes are the talk of my household this summer. It feels like more and more people I know are learning about e-bikes and specifically rad power bikes and what makes them so different. You don't have to take my word for it. Go check it out, man. They're winning a ton of awards over at electricbikereview.com. They even won best affordable electric bike in five categories there. Now rad power bikes is in fact, the largest e-bike brand in North America. Now, in case you're out of the loop and I have to admit sometime last year, I didn't know what the hell this was either. But it's a cross between a traditional bike and a moped. But unlike a moped, you don't need a special driver's license. But man, this thing's awesome. You can get up to 20 miles an hour without pedaling. So you can go out and have fun without getting all sweaty. But maybe best of all, it's affordable. You see, Rad Power Bikes start at just 1200 bucks, and they're all less than 1500 Meanwhile, these other e-bikes, they can be in the $3,000 range. These are great for commuting, great for getting out on the trail, hauling groceries, even transporting your kids around town. And to show appreciation for those that service, Rad Power Bike is even offering $100 off all e-bike purchases for active or ex-military, first responders, teachers, even students. 
They've got a great dedicated U.S.-based customer service support team. It's there seven days a week to answer any questions or concerns you might have. But this is the perfect gift for someone who loves to be outdoors. I can't recommend this enough. It's just, uh, it's fun. It's fun if you like getting out in nature. If you want to go hunting and fishing and have a little fun getting there. Uh, it's fun just to haul your kids around and, and have a little fun with them. I just can't recommend this enough. Uh, more and more of my friends are coming around on the e-bike thing, man. It's just a great way to get out and have some fun and, and enjoy the outdoors, especially after we've all been cooped up. And right now, Rad Power Bikes is offering flexible financing. How about it's as low as 0% APR? You ain't getting any cheaper than that. 0% APR. And right now is a limited time offer. Get a free accessory with the purchase of a bike. That's right. Get a free gift up to $100 in value and free shipping to the lower 48. To get this special offer, just text the word Bruce to 64,000. That's Bruce to 64,000. Text B-R-U-C-E to 64,000. I can't believe this is real. Flexible financing as low as 0% APR. See what we're talking about. Go to radpowerbikes.com and then get the hookup, man. Text B-R-U-C-E to 64,000.com. Well, let's talk about how Carl DeMarco gets the gig. We're familiar with him. We saw him through some of those late nineties, early two thousands documentaries. If you were a fan, I'm sure you saw some of those references and he's going to become a name that at least a lot of us were familiar with, but I saw here, he's the business manager of Bret Hart. That's how you guys were first introduced to him. Yeah, it was, <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of discrepancies as far as how Carl DeMarco came to be, but, uh, that he was driving Brett around and he was a friend of Brett's. And next thing you know, he was doing bookings for Brett outside of, you know, wrestling and, and what have you, autograph sessions and just different things like that. But Carl came in and Carl came into the office with a business plan and a way to promote um, the entire country of Canada. Uh, Carl had a plan to, to do things and branch out, do some more. Very aggressive plan. It was Carl was one of these guys that always liked to have uh, press conferences before the shows and things like that. And, and just a very aggressive promoter. And the plan made a lot more sense than what we had been doing, which seemed to be the status quo. So as far as Carl goes, it was looked at as here's a businessman that is trying to, to come in and actually has a plan. And, someone that is going to help grow our business in Canada. Another thing that was happening at the time was for Canadian television, you had to have so much Canadian content hmm. in, in all your TV, which is another reason we always had a lot of Canadian wrestlers and, and what have you. Um, but this also, we put an office in Canada that promoted, and that was our place of business for Canada. It wasn't Connecticut anymore. So that was another thing. Jack didn't want to go into an office every day. So that's, you know, pretty much the gist of it is that we were 
we were setting up shop in Canada and Jack wasn't really too thrilled about setting up shop. Let's, um, let's take a minute and just talk about the Tunney relationship. I mean, knowing that Frank Tunney and Vince McMahon senior were so tight, does Vince feel some sort of obligation to keep that going? We, we've often heard that quote unquote junior, and he's not really a junior, but the Vince that we all know really looked after folks who meant a lot to his dad. And I realized that this is the son of that person, but I guess that only carries you so far or that he really struggle with, man, this has been part of our family business for so long. I'm really not sure what to do here. I mean, previously, you know, he had worked for or done some stuff with Crockett. So it's not like they had always been together. Talk me through that. Well, I think that it just is a changing in times and at some point, you know, you, you have to change. Yeah. You, you have to change or you die. And it was, it was that time. It wasn't anything personal. It wasn't anything that Jack Tunney had done or Billy red had done. Nothing like that. It was just a case of, Hey guys, times are changing. Either get on board or thank you very much for your time here. And we'll move along. Before we talk about who's going to replace Tunney, uh, and, and what the speculation is, I do want to ask when we, we mentioned the other three names, you know, specifically Steve Rex and skip, you said, oh, we were just, you know, gonna have a different approach towards PR and things like that. Is it simply based on, Hey, we're going to have a paradigm shift about the way we approach these facets of our business, or is the driving factor in this decision? Hey man, we're not as profitable as we used to be. We need to tighten our belt. That's what's economically and fiscally responsible. Well, it's a little bit of all the above, but at the same time, when you're, you're looking at the way you're doing business, we were changing the way that we were doing business and trying to streamline things. So either. Either you fit or you didn't. Here's where I'm getting at that. It feels like we've heard in various shoot interviews from guys like Jim Cornette, where he would say, man, Vince believes perception is reality. When you go in and you start making these cuts from longtime folks who were staples in the office, doesn't none of those guys were longtime folks that were staples in the office. Okay. So it didn't affect the perception. My wonder is when you make a cut like this, the guy start looking around and saying, shit, do I need to call WCW and see if I can get some of that sweet, sweet Ted Turner money? Um, I don't really know. I, I think that there are people that may have thought that, but at the same time, if, if we're getting rid of them, is that something that WCW really is going to want? Maybe they do. Well, that's how they how they did their, their business model for a long time. If you work for WWE, well, shit, we want you. No, I don't know what you do, but we'll take you. I mean, that's what happened in 95, dude. They took all the cast offs and that was my wonder is, you know, is there some uncertainty that people start to get a little nervous? But Meltzer would talk about the figurehead role here. He says with Tunney and the WWF parting ways, the figurehead president role will be going to someone new. 
And on TV, there were hints that there will be an angle coming out of the decision-making process. It's already been speculated that Shane Douglas's initial role with the promotion could be as a heel commissioner. And eventually he'd be parlayed into being a heel wrestler. Douglas has not yet signed as a press time, but it was still considered by both sides as a 95% possibility that it would happen. By the way, he's on top of shit with Shane Douglas. He's going to be the dentist. dentist. Now he's going to be the figurehead. Dude, that tickled me. Like he's going to be the evil dentist slash president. Uh, Meltzer would freestyle here. And this was a great idea. Wouldn't Bob Backlund be an awesome choice for this figurehead president role? If you were to have like a heel authority figure, how great would it have been to have Bob Backlund doing that in 95? Bobby could have done a good job. Yeah. Let's talk about something else that really caught my attention. WWF president, Linda McMahon sent out a business statement on July 11th, stressing a need to constantly adapt to marketplace changes, talking about going direct merchandising through online services and that licensing and international television deals have exceeded projections and that the first in your house exceeded internal projections in regard to the changes. McMahon wrote quote, we are moving forward but we must consolidate and streamline some areas and change the management systems in order to operate efficiently. Some positions will be lost and the transition phase will require everyone's cooperation. When additions are necessary for growth, they will be added. So this is basically her saying we got to become more efficient. And that means some of you got to go, uh, with the hope that, Hey, when business picks up, you can come back. Do you think when those three names in particular that we mentioned, Steve Rex and skip, do you think they left thinking, Hey, maybe there's a chance to come back when business turns around or was this a see you later? Although that means never. Um, I think actually Steve came back at some point. I thought so, because I remember seeing his name. It feels like later in the nineties. Yeah, but um, I think that they all thought that there's a possibility of coming back, but no promise. Is this the era where you've joked about, or it's been joked about that Vince even removed the water coolers from headquarters? Uh, I think this was about that time. You know, that that seems to be much... uh, bigger news to people like Dave Meltzer and Eric Bischoff that, that love to talk about. They even took the water coolers out. What year was it? You've told me before, I don't even think we were recording a show. We were just talking in real life about sort of the ebbs of WWF business and how sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's not Vince don't sell shit for nobody, blah, blah, blah. But there was a moment of frustration. You told me about once where you said I had to pull whatever number of millions out of my ass. When was that? that? I mean, that was right in this time. And it was, it was tell the story for our listeners who've never heard it. Well, people think that, that Vince is this, this horrible, horrible human being that, um, his middle name is Beelzebub and that he just didn't care about people, didn't care about anything, but the bottom line. And it, it was during a time we were not a publicly held company and, Vince and Linda privately held that company. And when the company is losing money, um, Vince was, was taking out of his own pocket while losing millions of dollars and would make sure that everyone was paid each pay period. 
out of his own ass, out of his own side, you know, um, privately funding that. But his thing was he wasn't going to miss a payday for people um, because he had too many people that were depending on him. And that was a level of frustration that he just had to keep putting back into the company instead of just folding up shop and saying, okay, shit, we're losing too much money. Um, I think Vince would have put every single penny he had in the company and, and mortgaged everything he owned and found ways to get loans to do it. But Vince didn't want to do that. Didn't want to uh, mortgage everything to the hilt and borrow a bunch of money. He wanted to make sure that he did it himself. So yeah, the money came out of his ass and the money came out of, uh, came from him specifically. Yeah, it was, it was a major, major frustration. Hey, man, want to make this the best summer ever? What if you could get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments by five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month? But what if the little cherry on top was no house payments for two months? That's right, no payments in August or September. You're done until October. And come October, you're going to have a better mortgage. But don't take my word for it. Ask Kenneth in Hazel Green, Kentucky. He says, all I was trying to do was refinance down to 10 years in order to set me up for retirement without a mortgage payment. After telling first family what I wanted, not only did they get me a shorter term, but they were able to reduce my payment and cut my interest rate in half. I could not be more satisfied with the process and the outcome. If you're looking to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments, and maybe even get rid of all your credit card debt, and you've got to go to savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can qualify. And because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. That's SaveWithConrad.com. It's so remarkable. I mean, when you really think about it, Imagine for a minute if Vince had said, okay, my financial advisors and, and all the people who helped me manage my personal wealth have said that, you know, this is not good for me. And my, I've had a conversation with my wife and she's agreed that we need to just, uh, take our purse and go home because they had built a, a, a amassed an incredible personal wealth, but now the business is losing money. And so Vince is pulling money out of his own personal coffers out of his personal investments and funding the company with it because it's literally losing cash. And I think a lot of, he probably could have gotten some advice from different folks to say, yes, you could cut X, Y, and Z, and maybe that would make it more palatable. But Vince, with this large sum of wealth you've accumulated for yourself, why are you fooling with this? Why don't you just go rest on your laurels a little bit and come up with a new idea in a few years, take a few years off and wrestling by and large would have been different forever. And I don't know that it would exist the way it does now had Vince not dug into his personal coffers, because it's not like WCW at this point was exactly innovating. No. And, but Vince had faith in what the hell, you know, he wanted to do knew that he could do it. So and passion for wrestling. I mean, I know that sometimes wrestling fans online will say, Oh, Vince hates wrestling. Clearly he doesn't hate the wrestling business because if you, if you hated the wrestling business, this is your excuse to leave. It's losing money. Wash your hands of it. It's no longer a cash cow, but to throw your own cash behind it tells me he has a passion for this. 
Well, I, without a doubt, I don't, he wouldn't be in it all this time if he didn't. Let's talk about some other changes that are going to be happening. Meltzer would say besides the employee comebacks come August, there will be major changes made in the way they do TV. They've already moved from doing tapings every three weeks to every four weeks, doing four raws and four superstars at every taping. The wrestling challenge is being dropped in the fall. WWF was facing cancellation of the show in both New York and Los Angeles markets and had weak times in most other markets. So they felt the cost of doing the third day of taping just wasn't worth the exposure they were getting. The show had been almost a throwaway for the past several months with the only newsworthy items coming from most challenge tapings being action zone main events, which had for the most part been discontinued the past few weeks. Action zone, which consisted of the challenge matches plus an added main event will stay on USA, but with a format change in markets where Titan had a second syndication clearance, they will do a highlight show, which may be called challenge or spotlight or something else, but it'll be a spotlight format with all the major angles from either superstars or raw. The tapings will always come the Monday and Tuesday after a pay-per-view show and the way they will, that way they will never publicly tip their hand as to a pay-per-view finish the way WCW constantly does. That's a little note, but I appreciate that we're not going to do that because we used to, in this era, see a series of tapings in Orlando from WCW and different guys would show up wearing the same belts and be introduced as champions because this is going to happen two months from now or three months from now or four months from now, what have you. And it never actually aired on TV, how they won the belt. So if you're in the crowd, you're like, wait a minute. They didn't have the belts two matches ago. What is this? So I appreciate that continuity to the fan. But when I read that challenge is going away, I think about my old pal, Bruce, cause you had a soft spot for challenge and to hear it's going under finally had to be a little bittersweet for you. Yeah. By this time I hated challenge, <laughs> <laughs> but when you first came into the company, it was one of your first projects, right? But way back in like 87, 88. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, they all were, but it, it was challenge was probably the lesser of all the evils and it was getting to work with Bobby and gorillas. What made challenge fun. Right. So, but it was also just challenge and it was kind of viewed upon by everyone in the, the company a little bit as, eh, it's just challenge. All right. Here's some news. It was the redhead stepchild. King Kong Bundy is still with the company. He missed the tapings because of walking pneumonia and Henry Godwin was given his spot and his push, including Bundy's original match against Bam Bam Bigelow on July 23rd. Bundy's being phased down because it's been readily acknowledged. His matches have been poor. Although the weekend he worked against Bigelow on top at the B shows in New Jersey, which drew 12,000, 20,000 and 25,000 respectively. The A-team with Diesel and Sid in cage matches and Undertaker and Kamala in casket matches with Jarrett and Shawn Michaels for the IC title drew 41, 55, and 105,000 in Columbus, Indianapolis, and Chicago. Bigelow and Bomb broke the ring the first two nights. The first night, the ring ropes broke, and the second night, one of the metal supports broke. A lot to unpack here. First of all, the other show, I mean, these A and B shows, boy, they could not be different in the amount of money they're drawing, you know, from 25,000 compared to 105,000. Do you totally contribute that to one piece of talent or is it a combination of things? Is it the combination of diesel undertaker and Sean, or is it mostly undertaker? What do you, 
I mean, the Undertaker in a casket match is an attraction in any year, but in 95, it was even another level, was it not? Absolutely. And it's attraction driven, but it's also market driven. And the B shows were specifically easy for me to say, um, marketed to smaller markets. And those were your high school gyms. Those were your just much smaller venues and smaller arenas. They weren't meant to draw that hundred thousand dollar gate. They were meant to go in and do 50, you know, $50,000 and get out of there with profit and move on to the next one. They didn't have the expenses of the A shows and the larger venues. So the disparity in what we drew, that was, you couldn't have drawn a hundred thousand in some of those markets. Let's also talk about Bigelow and Adam bomb breaking the ring. Um, this is sort of post Hogan Kamala era, but still, uh, two big old boys with Bigelow and Adam bomb breaking the rings. Is this around the time you guys started, uh, loosen up on the stiffer rings or is this just the stiffer rings wearing out? I know there was definitely sort of a before and after of how the rings changed. And I think you've explained privately before that maybe some of that was Vince actually getting in the ring, but when you're seeing the rings breaking like this, it makes me sort of scratch my head and think, is this before or after? No, this was basically man. Um, two big boys in there that were beating the shit out of the ring and nothing more, nothing less. These were still the concrete rings. <laughs> I like to call them. Um, they were brutal. How was Bundy to work with at this point? You know, but we're acknowledged here in the newsletter that his matches on top, uh, or have been poor to say the least. And I know that you've always used the Ernie lad joke, but realistically, what was it like working with Bundy in this era? I mean, did he know that he wasn't meeting the mark for you guys? I think that Bundy kind of at this time was in a, in a bit of a time lapse and felt that what he was doing was enough, but it, it just wasn't, he, he didn't have it anymore. He didn't, he didn't care. And it just was, um, wasn't good. I mean, it's just, he wasn't there. He wasn't the King Kong Bundy of old. The King Kong Bundy of old had some snap in his step and this King Kong Bundy did not great guy. One of the funniest son bitches in the locker room, but I don't think that Chris cared at this point. Talk to me about Sid. All right. Meltzer would write, expect Sid to be phased down from the top and Mabel to be given his shot at the top heel spot. Is Sid just becoming less and less reliable? Does it feel like it, he's not gaining the traction we wanted? Why is Sid coming down and Mabel going up? Cycle of the business sometimes. And, uh, we had heard rumblings that WCW had something big planned with Mabel as the third man. Oh, Jesus. And we wanted to get ahead of that. Let's talk about, um, Something that really jumped off the page of my research. Well, I read it in the Wrestling Observer. 
gotta be right. Right. The WWF is starting its own newsletter by putting put together by Vince Russo, who did a terrible newsletter of his own three years back, which lasted all of a few issues. Actually, WWF could put out a very profitable newsletter if they did it correctly, but the ability to give up the BS is virtually impossible within the industry. And that's their biggest handicap. What do you remember about Vince Russo potentially running a WWF newsletter? Oh God, we talked about two different times, different machinations of all the newsletters out there and well, shit, why don't we print our own gossip and our own news? Um, this is just another one of those times, but I think, you know, having Vic Venom be your dirt guy just doesn't do wonders to the credibility of something. Not that having uh, the name of Dave Meltzer lends any credibility to anything either. Um, actually, Vic Venom probably would have been more credible than Dave Meltzer. But, um, yeah, just one of those discussions of what ifs. Let's, uh, let's also talk about, since we're cutting costs, how we're reinvesting some of that newfound wealth. Meltzer would write, the WWF blimp. Cost $250,000. They're going to send the blimp to different cities ahead of time where they run live events. What the fuck is this? Oh my God. That was cheap with the amount of publicity that we got from that blimp and being able to travel all over and get on major networks and be sitting up there next to Fuji or Goodyear blimps and major events we had a lot of exposure with the blimp and that was something that you you know a lot of it you could never pay for a lot of that exposure you could never get by just going out and buying it did y'all buy that blimp from lou perlman who's lou perlman you know the guy who did nsync and all those other boy bands before that he made his money selling blimps to people like Jordash and I don't know, a bunch of others, McDonald's. I don't know. Just rented it. We sure. rented it. We rented the blimp for the promotion. It was the brainchild of a gentleman named Bob Collins. And again, it, it got so much, so much publicity and the exposure was worth well over the $250,000. So you think it was, uh, it was a success. I do. Wow. Do you think it would work now? Um, if there were, if there were enough live sporting events going on all over the country. Yes. Let's talk about some injuries as we head towards the pay-per-view. Uh, Meltzer would say the Tom Pritchard is out of action with a knee injury. Brody missed the weekend due to being banged up in an auto accident, but he'll be back this week. Meltzer even says he's going to get a huge push as a face. It appears since on TV this week, they were already referring to him as having so much charisma. I can't wait to talk about what could have been there. All right, listen up wrestling fans. Were you excited to see some Chinese pro wrestling when AEW announced that they would be featuring Chinese wrestlers on their program? Well, you can watch some Chinese pro wrestling right now by checking out Middle Kingdom Wrestling. That's MKW. MKW is the top pro wrestling organization in China today. It's a unique pro wrestling company with Chinese characteristics. 
It features one of the most internationally diverse rosters in wrestling today from nearly 30 countries so far. MKW has showcased, developed, and promoted wrestling in other countries like Nepal, Vietnam, Thailand, South Korea, and with a more particular focus on countries that are part of China's One Belt, One Road initiative. MKW live broadcasts in China consistently attract millions of fans, even often reaching 10 million concurrent viewers. Wow. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, MKW was on track to host the first ever all-women's wrestling tournament in China. We're also planning a Malaysian wrestling tour in the first half of 2020. These are still plans that will happen when we return as soon as it's safe again. But MKW prides itself on cultivating the development of pro wrestling in China and in countries where wrestling is still underdeveloped or not quite widely known yet. By joining the MKW fan community, you too are helping pro wrestling develop around the world. Check out middlekingdomwrestling.com just look up middle kingdom wrestling on youtube or facebook it's mkw china on instagram and mkw wrestling on twitter and we thank middle kingdom wrestling for sponsoring the podcast uh he would also say expect Waylon mercy to get a huge push as the character has been well received rad radford got a badly bloody nose in his match with fatu in columbus uh, fatu went over in radford's first house show matches uh, some of our listeners may not be familiar, but Rad Radford is Louis Spicoli, who we would see later in ECW. And then of course, last in WCW before we lost him way, way too young. He was like a, a child prodigy almost at wrestling. Was he not? I mean, he was signed with y'all when he was very, very young. Yeah, he was. Louis was someone out in California that always came to us. And he was part of that Bill Anderson and Louis Hernandez, um, I think it's Louis Hernandez. Uh, I'm going to, I know I just screwed that name up. Um, I can picture him. Good Lord, Bruce. Anyway, uh, Louis was part of that group, that Southern California group and a hell of a talent, hell of a worker. Um, just a little immature, I think was the, when you say Southern California, I think of Rick Bassman and Roland Alexander, either one of those. No, Rick. No. God, no. Okay. Roland Alexander was San Francisco. Um, it was, uh, Billy Anderson and Jesse Hernandez, something like that. Uh, Meltzer would also continue the talk of Dr. Death. He says negotiations with Steve Williams are still alive, but he's neither agreed to come in or turned anything down. But if he came in, he would surely get a push. Uh, who was pushing for, for Dr. Death here in 95. It couldn't have been Jr. at this point, right? If JR was breathing, he was pushing for Dr. Death. I'm saying he was playing hokey pokey with the company at this point. Yeah. Oh. But still, if he's breathing, he's pushing for Dr. Death. Okay. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving. Um, I do want to ask, we talked about it at the, sort of at the top of the show. Do you think Hulk Hogan Vader as a main event was of any concern to Vince? I mean, that feels like sort of his old formula, Hulk Hogan against a big, nasty heel. Was that considered stiff competition? Do you think this month? I, you know, I, at this point, the shit they were doing really wasn't. And it was just another, you know, rehash. It was the, it was the same formula that we had followed for years, you know, Hogan against the big monster. That was 
that was Terry's story, and, and that's how Hulk got over. So that go back to the formula that works. Let's let's talk about, um, you know, I know this sounds weird, but you've you've often said that sometimes you would watch these WCW pay per views with like Pat Patterson or Howard Finkel. Did Vince ever watch a WCW pay-per-view with you guys? Would he watch it at home or did he not watch the other stuff at all? Uh, from time to time, he would, he would watch a pay-per-view. Yeah. Or one of their specials, uh, TBS specials, something like that, but it wasn't a regular, a regular deal. No. A couple of weeks after they were let go, Meltzer would write in the newsletter that, uh, after those key executives, quote unquote. Uh, and the head of public relations and the head of marketing, meaning Steve and Rex were let go. A lot of wrestlers who are working quote unquote on bottom are worried about their jobs. Apparently there'd been discussion of doing this even before WrestleMania, but it wasn't until last week when it happened. Do you think Vince was sort of reluctant to make these cuts? And it wasn't until he knew that King of the ring was not the boom that he hoped. Maybe he thought originally after WrestleMania, okay, that didn't draw the buy rate, but maybe we can pull the nose up on this thing by June. And then when it doesn't happen there, it's just time to get to business. Yeah. I think that, you know, look all the time, you're going to run into situations where business isn't what you want it to be. And yes, we need to turn things up and we need to change things around a little bit. Um, that's business and you just have to reevaluate and constantly reevaluate and reinvent as you move along. Well, it's funny because you know, you've got sort of mixed messaging. King of the ring does a 0.65 buy rate, which Meltzer would say would make it by a sizable margin, the lowest rated WWF pay-per-view in history that would indicate but Vince is calling 150,000 buys for a $1.6 million company gross. Meltzer would say if one year ago, you told me the UFC would be beating a WWF pay-per-view, he would have doubted it. And the gist is at the same time, while pay-per-view is down, we're doing some decent numbers live. The live gate for the show at the spectrum was impressive. There's 16,590 folks in the building. 14,142 of those were paying. The gate is $311,680. That's the second largest gate in, of the year, only behind WrestleMania. How do you reconcile this where fans will turn out in droves for you to see you in certain markets, but the pay-per-view is just circling the drain. Is it just, you had a poor lineup, you did a poor job promoting. What's the lesson Vince learns in a moment like that? Well, obviously you didn't have an attraction that people wanted to see. And it was also new to do the monthly pay-per-view. So people had not got into the habit yet of monthly pay-per-view and, oh, okay, I, I need to budget my money here and I, I need to do this. It wasn't, we weren't there yet. So I think it's just a combination of a lot of things and that, uh, Brand new all night gas station opened up down the street. Oh God. I love when you do that. Uh, one more thing, uh, or I guess a couple more notes before we get to the pay-per-view Meltzer would say, speaking of WrestleMania, one of our readers bumped into Lawrence Taylor's this past week who made it clear he'd never wrestle again, saying it was the biggest mistake of his career to do so. I don't know how much I believe, uh, somebody bumped into somebody. I understand that that's easy to shit on, but I've never really heard Lawrence Taylor talk about wrestling, you know, or his experience. 
have you talked to Lawrence or ran across anything where you got an indication whether or not he felt like it was fun or had a good time or worthwhile or successful, or did he just regret it? Well, I can only talk to my personal experience with Lawrence is that he absolutely loved the experience that he had with us. And it was a dream come true to him because he had, he had been a fan his whole life and he had a shitload of fun with the buildup, the training all the way to and through the match. So, um, no, I never heard that. And I, I, I doubt anyone else did other than somebody saying, Hey man, boy, that sure was a mistake. What you did at getting in the ring at WrestleMania and you must've hated that. And for them to just say, you know, Lawrence, not knowing what the fuck they're talking about saying, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of negative people that will only hear and say the negative that that's what they're going to want to believe. Let's, uh, let's talk about morale. Meltzer would say the morale on the road is really bad. And I'm told the majority of the wrestlers right now are trying to do as little as they can to get by, which makes sense for lackluster house shows. Would you say overall that morale was down here in the summer of 95? I mean, we're, we're seeing folks let go record low pay-per-view numbers. Do you think that morale was low, not just in the office, but amongst the talent? Yeah, I do. I think that the paydays were down. I think that, you know, overall the, any time that pay is down a little bit, the guys start talking and guys start buzzing about, oh, what's next? What are we going to do? So sometimes the morale is, is like a roller coaster. They'll go and they'll, uh, be good one moment and bad the next. Let's talk about something that's going to be good forever. Meltzer would say they'll be filming another Jeff Jarrett music video in Denver at the Grizzly Rose on August 11th. They will introduce a line dance called the double J strut. Now we know based on what's going to happen tonight, that's never going to happen. What were the original plans? for the, the line dance, the double J strut. <laughs> we didn't do the double J strut. That was where you were going to find out who the true singer of it was, because by God, here's a scoop. Double J didn't sing that. Well, double J did sing it. Just wasn't Jeffrey Jarrett. Let me admit something now that I can't believe. I never got until right now, but we've been talking about Bret Hart. And as you like to call him the pirate stealing his jacket and that being a worthwhile, you know, use for a feud. I mean, you and I argued about that once. And, uh, the next big thing, Mance Warner texted me and said, I'd whip somebody's ass. If they stole my jacket, you're wrong. Bruce is right. So just saying people are agreeing with you about the jacket thing. This is in the observer. And I laughed out loud when I read it. They're doing an angle where WWF wrestlers are supposedly having things stolen from the dressing room in which apparently will wind up. It will be Jean-Pierre Lafitte to get over his pirate gimmick. It wasn't until I read that sentence that I realized the reason he's stealing stuff is because he's a pirate. It's tremendous. That's a pirate. Well, that's a fucking now. Hang on. I know. I never thought about that's what, what a pirate pirates does. do. And I told you that they steal booty. I got it. Yes. All right, you cannot trust a pirate. Clearly. Clearly. Um, there's a lot to unpack here on the show. I want to get to it. 
but I also want to talk about some news and notes, uh, because the gist is Titans in bad financial shape. Titan sports has lost millions of dollars over the past few years due to a combination of major decrease in revenue from house shows, a decline in pay-per-view buy rates, major legal bills and high real estate bills. And rumors went around wrestling like crazy over the past week about how serious the condition is. Although there was no way to really know what the long-term effects are. The two indications are that Titan was really in trouble would be for the McMahon family to sell a percentage of the company to outsiders, which hasn't happened in order to raise funding. This is something I believe the McMahons would only do as a last resort. The other real sign of danger would be a move from Titan towers to a less expensive office setup. Since neither has happened, I don't take any of the talk of impending doom too seriously. Although clearly this is a company facing a major downsizing as Jim Crockett promotions in 87 and 88 and the UWFI in 94 and 95 showed it doesn't take long for a wrestling company that looks to be thriving on the surface to get financially overextended and cease to exist. The thing that sticks out to me, because we've talked about almost all of this so far, but high real estate bills, was it often thought of at the time that Titan towers was an albatross of sorts, man, this is such an expensive, fancy building and maybe we're overspending here. I don't think so. I mean, again, it was, we needed office space and it was not like, Oh, Hey, let's move over to this office building because it's fancy office space. It was, we needed to move because we had grown out of the several offices that we were in at the time and to be able to consolidate the office into one building, the, uh, excluding the studio at that time. This episode is brought to you by blue chew guys. Remember the days when you were always ready to go. Well, now you can increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed. Listen up bluechew.com. That's blue, like the color blue and blue chew is going to bring you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. So you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package. Maybe best of all, they're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew ships and prepares direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy and best of all there is no more awkwardness right now we've got a special deal for you just because you listen to this show visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code wrestle just pay five dollars shipping that'll give them something to wrestle with again that's b-l-u-e-c-h-e-w.com the promo code is wrestle and you get to try it for free Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. It's pretty remarkable that the news of the WWF's sort of poor financial state really gets out there and becomes a story when a lot of the PR people are let go, because that's usually who the, you know, the, the media is communicating with. So multi-channel news would even do a story on the dismissal of skip who had been the head of Titans pay-per-view department as quote unquote, being well-respected within that industry. And as a result of these news stories, some cable operators begin to question 
Hey, is our cash cow leaving? Because they've really been the juggernaut of pay-per-view for a long, long time. And I don't know that maybe that was, uh, not something Vince thought about that. Hey, our spokesperson who's handled all this media spin stuff for us for so long, if they're gone now, maybe this gets a little more rampant. Clearly they survived. Didn't really matter, but there are going to be a lot of other names who are going to be on the outs. Even more questions about the financial stability of the company were being asked after all sorts of rumored wrestling cuts took place this past week. While a complete list is not yet available, those believed to have been dropped include the former barbarian whose position was dropped when Fatu was made a single managers, Afa and Lou Albano doink and dink television announcer, Stephanie Wyand Duke Drose and road agent, Tony Gurria. There are many other names that are expected to be dropped between now and September. The biggest names on that list being King Kong Bundy and Hakushi. In addition, Mantar, the heavenly bodies and techno team 2000 will be phased down and get limited. If any bookings after a few more weeks, the only real surprises to me on the list are doink and dink. And even though the gimmick has more than run its course, the WWF has merchandised them heavily and even brought forth a lawsuit against Matt Osborne a few weeks ago to enforce their trademark. Talk is that there will be less B shows in the future to go along with the cutback in television costs going from 51 TV tapings down to just 21 or sorry, 26 TV tapings, man, a lot of heads rolling here. Lou Albano sticks out to me and Tony Gurria as being longtime WWF guys. What do you remember about them getting their walking papers here? Well, that's probably about the hundredth time that Tony had gotten his walking papers. The same thing with Lou, but they were look. Making cuts is not easy, right? And it's, it's extremely unpleasant. Sometimes you have to look at your bottom line and you have to look at your roster and everyone in the company and what have you. And sometimes you have to make cuts. They're hard. They're unfortunate. They affect people's lives. And it's not something that's just flippantly done. It's just say, okay, we'll get rid of these guys. You have to put a lot of thought into it and you have to also accept the responsibility when you do make cuts and move on, but you have to do what's right for the company at the time. Let's get to the pay-per-view. We're finally here. July 23rd in your house too. It's the Nashville municipal auditorium. Meltzer would say it was an easy thumbs up. Although he was a little surprised by the responses from the readers. He says, I've seen plenty of better WWF and WCW pay-per-view shows that didn't get anywhere near the level of positive response that this show got. I'm not sure if that's an indication of decreasing expectations and thus one outstanding match, three better than average and two bad matches constitutes an excellent show nowadays, or simply that people vary their responses based on the price tag. And since this show was only 1495, less is expected than the other shows. But in comparison to King of the ring, the WWF rebounded big time. In fact, the readers of the wrestling observer gave this 88.7% thumbs up. So if that's any indication and you haven't seen this show, go out of your way to go watch in your house. Number two on the WWE network, 88.7. That's pretty damn good. Uh, thumbs down is only 4.4%. Thumbs in the middle is 6.9%. There was one dark match that night. It was skip beating Aldo Montoya. In the opening dark match, it's about four minutes. Montoya is going to come off the top with a cross body block and skip rolls through holding the trunks. Meltzer was told it was all action, but too short and gave it two stars. Let's get started on the show. Uh, we should mention 
Uh, Meltzer said the uh, crowd estimate was between 6,500 and 7,000 fans here. WCW had sold out the same building in December for Starcade, but that was the stinker Starcade. Hulk Hogan was on top. He was wrestling the former Brutus, the Barber Beefcake. But still, it was historically a big show for WCW, so it sold out. So not quite a sellout here, but not the worst crowd. And they get a good show here. Roddy's going to pin one, two, three kid in the opening match in seven minutes and 26 seconds. I think this is uh, a really great match for both guys. You get to see the charisma for Roddy really for the first time in the ring. And one, two, three kid, I think is at his, some of his very best work here in 95. I really dug this one. Meltzer did too. He said it was damn good and would have been even better if they would have been given a little more time, three and a quarter stars and Roddy goes over cause they got big plans for him. Uh, what'd you think of the match? And, uh, what'd you think of the roadie as he starts to sort of come out of his shell here? I thought it was excellent because it told the story exactly what we wanted to do. And that was to show that roadie was someone that was able to, to hang and give him some credibility in the ring. He had been pretty much, you know, that bit part player for Jeff Jarrett and, Rody at the time, man, was, God damn, he had star written all over him. And we just wanted to get him out there and get that ball rolling so that when it was time to let him out of the gates, he was ready to rock and roll. They're even going backstage twice during the match to show Jeff Jarrett in his dressing room paying no attention to the match, just all into himself. And so he's supposed to care about his pal Rody, but clearly he doesn't. Uh, next up, we've got men on a mission beating Razor Ramon and Savio Vega. They get 10 minutes and nine seconds. And Meltzer would say this was probably the surprise match of the night. Considering Ramon was in his first match back after missing six weeks with a rib injury and men on a mission are usually awful. Uh, but he liked this one, uh, two and three quarter stars. And, um, he says as Vega and Mo both went over the top, Mabel squashed Ramon with a belly to belly suplex for the pin. He says this was gutsy, but also logical booking, having one of the most over faces do a clean job to the heel ready for his title shot. It's something most U.S. offices have backed away from in uh, recent years, two and three quarter stars. And it is a big deal. You know, Razor Ramon coming back, one of the most beloved characters and Mabel pins him clean. What'd you think of this one? Well, because nobody nobody saw that coming, and nobody thought that that would actually take place. I thought that the match was excellent, and to that degree, that credit, you know where it goes. It goes to Razor Ramon and Savio. Of course. But at the same time, Mabel and Bobby had to, look, they had to hang, and they did. So the other thing it tells you is that, all right, with the right opponents in there that are leading them, through this match, they can go and they can keep up. So to me, it was a win-win on every, every aspect in it and was a way to start the build of Mabel. Next up, we get Jeff Jarrett doing the concert. Meltzer would say it was pointed out that the fat guitarist was Al Anderson, formerly of the band NRBQ, which was years ago connected with Lou Albano. The lip syncing was obvious when you were looking for it, but it came off great. Uh, this is probably one of the best quote unquote gimmick angles ever done. I mean, I really enjoyed this, especially because we've had so much fun with the song. And I think that Jim Johnston is out here, right? 
Yes. Yeah, I think Jim was. Yeah, Jim was definitely out there. The idea of doing this concert on the pay per view is this uh, a Vince idea? I mean, is this a Vince storyline? Is my point. We've we've often heard that Vince really focuses on certain acts, certain performers, certain storylines, and and he really sinks his teeth into it. This feels like this could have qualified for one. Uh, Vince was heavily involved in it, but this was also during a time where Pat and I had a had a little bit more free reign. And so this was something that we had developed for quite a while and we're really looking forward to the payoff and then the next steps. Next up, we've got Bam Bam Bigelow pinning Henry Godwin in five minutes and 33 seconds with a cradle. Meltzer will say nothing with the match was wrong, but it was just kind of dead. Three quarters of a star. Is this just one of those styles clash deals? They both need a smaller guy to sort of build around a little bit. Big time, big time. It was just like two guys colliding in the middle of the ring and then neither one really knowing exactly what in the hell to do. It is pretty special when you think, Hey, I'm, I'm going on last with Lawrence Taylor. I'm in the main event of WrestleMania. Fast forward a handful of months. Now I'm wrestling Henry Godwin five minutes, middle of the card. Uh, next up, here's why we're really on the card. They are on the card. Tremendous match. Four and a half stars is coming up here for Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett. Shawn's going to win the intercontinental title. They go 20 minutes and one second, really great stuff. Go out of your way to watch. This is Shawn when he is really in his prime. Um, he's starting to really showcase what he can do. I think his best stuff is probably second half of 97, early 98 from a character, but in ring. Man, it's hard to poke holes in Shawn Michaels' game here. And Jeff Jarrett holds his own. A really, really good show uh, for both guys. Uh, Meltzer's going to say, Jarrett signaled for Rhodey to trip Michaels as he got whipped into the ropes, but Michaels reverses it, and Jarrett was tripped. As he got up, Michaels hit him with the super kick for the pin. After a celebration with Michaels in the dressing room, they went back to the ring, presumably for the Jarrett-Rhodey split, but it didn't happen. And later Hendricks did a stand-up babbling about a phantom split. All right. A lot to unpack here, Bruce. What happened? Uh, they went out, they did their match. Jeff did the job exactly as was supposed to be done. And then after all was said and done, Jeff called for road dog to just pull them out of the ring, pulled them out of the ring. They went to the back and, uh, I believe that my exact words were what the fuck. And they just kept right on walking, grabbed their bags and left the arena. Hey, just wanted to give you a heads up. You're wasting money on your single biggest expense and you might not even realize it. Just ask Brandon in Texas, save with Conrad.com. Just hooked him up. He left us a five-star review and here's what he had to say. This whole refinance process has been super easy. It's been entirely stress-free. I had a good interest rate beforehand and no real need to refinance, but I finally looked into it after hearing Conrad's ads. Turns out they were able to cut five years of payments, saving me about $50,000. Man, Brandon saved 50 grand and he thought he had a great deal. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket and we're licensed in more than 40 states. So we can help more families than ever before at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? 
at SaveWithConrad.com. Meltzer would say the biggest story revolving in your house too was just minutes after being involved in the two best matches on the show. Jeff Jarrett and the roadie quit the promotion. Details as to why are sketchy at press time, although it is known they were unhappy about the angle, which had been a major source of discussion over the past few weeks. Originally during the in your house pay-per-view show, when Jarrett was lip syncing a concert of the song, there was to be a screw up revealing roadie as the singer between that and the screw up in the IC title match. It would start the feud with them meeting and facing each other at SummerSlam. There was a lot of talk largely based on how well the video was received that doing a turn this early was premature. As it was, they did the turn, or at least were booked to do it later in the show during the match where Jarrett lost his IC to Shawn Michaels with an attempted interference by Rhodey backfiring and then leading to the finish. Jarrett and Rhodey were supposed to do a breakup after the match, but just didn't do it. Instead, they went backstage and had Doc Hendricks in his lone appearance talk about the breakup happening backstage and a fight without it ever actually taking place. Jarrett and Rhodey simply both walked out of the building that night in the middle of the show. There are plenty of rumors as to why the two would leave together since Jarrett, mainly from the video, was actually starting to show some charisma after a lengthy mega push that for the most part had been unsuccessful. There were also rumors with Jarrett's father, Jerry, working as a consultant to WCW that somehow there's a connection there and WCW is said to be interested in Jarrett, but it's not such a small matter to overcome that Jarrett has a WWF contract. Rhodey, who was also being given his first career break after being a jobber for WCW and Smoky Mountain as Brian Armstrong, from the looks of things, seems to be walking away just as his career was getting ready to take off. At the Raw show the next day in Louisville, they didn't give a strong impression that they were gone, but Vince McMahon did give away that Jarrett was lip syncing the previous night and left the impression Rhodey was singing and said Jarrett would never sing on a WWF show again. My goodness. This is one of those like, what stories, you know, uh, sometimes Bruce people say, Hey man, who else would you like to do a podcast with? Who else do you think you could have a great podcast with? And I always say, I think Jeff Jarrett has a story unlike anybody else. I mean, let's not forget. This is the same guy who once quote unquote held Vince up for money with the whole China intercontinental title thing. But now here years prior to that just walks out. What was Vince's reaction when he's looking around saying, God damn it. Where's Jeff? Um, not real happy. I wasn't real happy. Uh, my brother actually is the one that came up to gorilla to tell me, he said, yeah, he said, uh, Jeff and Brian just left and said they quit. I was like, okay, great. And continued on with the show. I believe the rumor over the years is Jerry Jarrett had given them bad information and let's not forget. Imagine that Jerry was fresh off of his run with you guys. He's no longer a part of the company. Correct. Who Jerry Jarrett? Jarrett. Yes, sir. No. So Jerry Jarrett, when Vince thought quote unquote, he was going to prison was around the company and would, would try to program some of the weekend programming where heavily featured his son. His son now gets a big push and so does his pal, Brian Armstrong, but maybe they didn't like the creative. So they just walk out perhaps thinking that Jerry has other ideas planned for them. And we know that that's not exactly going to work out. They've got to wait out Jeff's contract. And then of course, Rhodey's going to come back first. And 
They're going to try to repackage him and build it up. But man, Rhodey had a, I mean, Brian had a lot of momentum here in this show and was poised to do big stuff. Was he just, is this the definition of loyal to a fault? I mean, it hurt his career to leave here and, and he had the biggest company with the biggest push behind him and he just threw it away based on loyalty. Is that the way you think this can be summed up? No, I would call it stupidity. I would call it just, you know, naivete. Um, didn't think it through, uh, believed in somebody that obviously had an ax to grind and, and had a history of, um, just being Jerry Jarrett. So to that, to that extent, that was, look, you know, we all have to make our own decisions and, Brian and Jeff made a decision based on whatever information, whatever, um, they were told and sold, if you will. Um, I believe it was the wrong decision. Uh, but I also know from our vantage point that every step of the way that they were aware of what we were going to do how we were going to do it and had input into it. So it was a shock. It was a shock to me. It was a shock to Pat. Um, but it also hurt. And it was, that was one that, that hurt because it's like, you know, all you had to do was say, um, I don't want to do this or can we do it a different way or something like that. Versus just saying, oh, well, Vince didn't talk to us and we, we didn't like the way it was going. And you never made an attempt, at least that we know of, you know, to talk to Vince and, and or to tell him that. And you had many, many opportunities to tell us. And instead, you yeah, yeah, us to death to the point that we felt everybody was on board and everybody was good to go. Um, so to that shame on you and we move on, but it, it was not, uh, wasn't received well by me. I can definitely tell you that. Have you talked to Jeff about it in recent years? Oh yeah. I mean, I talked to Jeff about, I talked to Jeff about it when he came back and I've talked to Jeff about it over the years. Um, I think we agree to disagree. And I think that Jeff realizes now that that wasn't the greatest move in the world to make. Right. So being in a position of being a promoter and being in the position of, of trying to do a television show and work with a lot of talent and, then have someone treat you like that, all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, hey, maybe I didn't handle that the best way. So I, I don't agree with the way Jeff and Road Dog handled it uh, in any way, shape, or form. And wish it wouldn't have happened because I think that the angle and the story that we had laid out would have been awesome. There was some sort of... Uh... 
maybe I have this confused, but I thought there was a phone call that night, maybe from Jeff or Jerry, but somebody either called the office or called Vince, or maybe someone called Jerry's house. I forget, but the gist is Jerry told somebody, oh, they're in my hot tub right now. That was uh, Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett and Lawler pulled us over on the side of the road, uh, to inform us of it, that, uh, Brian and Jeff were in Jerry Jarrett's hot tub, uh, drinking champagne and they're out of, you know, out of, uh, they've quit. They're not coming back. They're going to start WCW. And that was Jerry Jarrett to Jerry Lawler and then Jerry Lawler to us. So as far as, you know, what else, what they truly were doing, I don't know. Maybe they were. But, um, good for them. Well, I'll tell you this, Jeff went out on a high spot when it came to the, uh, the readers of the wrestling observer, it was almost unanimous. The best match was Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett. It got 159 votes. The only other match that got best match votes was Rhodey and one, two, three kid. So the two guys who people thought had two of the best matches and granted they're working with Shawn Michaels and one, two, three kid, uh, they're out of here. But the good wrestling has to end eventually. And it does. Uh, we get to Owen Hart and Yokozuna retaining the titles against Lex Luger and Davey boy. Uh, Meltzer would call this something of an upset. They get 10 minutes and 54 seconds finish would see Luger and Smith doing a double back suplex on Yokozuna. Luger has him pinned. Owen comes off the top rope on the Luger and puts Yoko on top two and a half stars. I mean, what did you think of the team of Lex Luger and Davy Boy? I thought actually, I thought they were a good team, and it was putting the yeah, I was listen to what I was about to say. The, the less charismatic Bulldog with a more charismatic Luger, but that wasn't the case. You had a better worker uh, in Davy Boy putting him with Lex to compensate there. Uh, Owen and Yoko was Owen and Yoko, and I thought they were both great. But the the match, come on. I mean, Owen Hart had his working boots on and got to work a lot with Davey. So the match itself was good, and, and Owen could work circles around Lex and make Lex look like a million bucks. Yoko always does his shit good, and I thought it was a damn good match. Well, let's get to our main event. I bet you don't think this was diesel retains pinning Sid and what Meltzer would call the blow off of their feud in a lumberjack match. It's 10 minutes and two star two seconds. Certainly not two stars. Uh, Meltzer writes, this would have been a negative star match. If not for the lumberjacks, Sid manages to get worse every time you see him and diesel didn't look any good here either, but he's not exactly the caliber of a performer who can carry someone this bad. It was weird because diesel looked so much taller and larger than Sid, the lumberjacks, particularly the heel ones kept interfering to take attention away from the fact that these two, these two simply can't work together. Finally, diesel does a plancha seriously onto all the heel lumberjacks who caught him, but I'm sure he's still the largest man to ever try a stunt like that. At one point, Mabel squashed diesel into the post and leg dropped him on the outside of the ring to set up an angle for the next pay-per-view but diesel kicked out of the pen attempt after a lengthy chin lock, Sid hit the power bomb and Sid was high-fiving everyone. So diesel kicked out 
Diesel backdrops his way out of a second power bomb. And Sid then for some reason goes out of the ring and starts fighting with all the babyface lumberjacks, allowing Michaels to come off the top with a double sledge to the head of Sid. As Sid stumbles in diesel hits him with a poorly timed foot to the face for the pin half a star. Uh, holy shit. This was awful. God bless Meltzer for giving it a half a star. But I, I do have to say whoever put this together, whether it was you or Pat or whoever adding the lumberjacks as garnish did sort of camouflage some of the shortcomings of a real styles clash with two monsters. I mean, both of these guys can have good matches with somebody like Sean Waltman or, um, obviously razor Ramon, of course, Sean Michaels, but against each other, well, there's just not a lot you can do. So I, I did like sprinkling in the other lumberjacks and I'll admit, I totally forgot that Kevin Nash ever even attempted a plancha. What'd you think of this match? Ooh, rough. Uh, not pretty, not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. And it, um, thank, Hey, thankfully it was short. There you go. It was short. It's a weird time for the business here. Um, but it's not weird to know that when it comes to the best match, it's Shawn Michaels. And when it comes to the worst match, believe it or not, diesel and Sid came in second, bam, bam, Bigelow and Henry Godwin, uh, according to the wrestling observer thought it was the worst match. what do you think was the worst match? It was, I would have to say it'd be a tie, but for a main event, when you put that main event out there and that for the championship, that kind of outweighs it because of the position it was in. It just wasn't good. But thank God we did have lumberjacks. At least we had a lot of star power out there. Well, it's remarkable to me that, you know, this show got 88% thumbs up, but it really is a two match show. It's just crazy to see at the end of that. Uh, 50% of those guys are gone. They just walk out here. What would you say of this show, Bruce? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. I actually thought it was pretty good. Again, you know, if you just watch the, the last match may leave a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. But again, I thought the show was pretty good when you try to remove yourself from how miserable I was that night after the whole, uh, Jeff Rody debacle, I was pissed and, and miserable. So Watching it again, knowing what's going to happen, and you, you kind of don't have uh, as miserable feelings anymore. So I thought it was good. It was good. After you see a performance like this from Shawn Michaels, does Vince come around on him even more? I mean, I know Shawn at different times had given him trouble, and we know that that's not done. But he went out here and had a tremendous match with a guy who's leaving. And really helped steal the show. Sean did. Does does this just change Vince's opinion of him, or did he already have that high opinion? It just really further cements it. I don't think that anybody ever didn't have a high opinion of Sean's work and what he was capable of doing. So that just reinforces it every time he goes out there and steals the show because that's what Sean does. So this was an opportunity to uh, show once again why. Why Sean loves the man. Let's get to uh, Twitter. We let you guys ask questions at Pritchard show. If you've got questions for next week's episode, which is great American bash 2005, well, you need to follow us on Twitter. That's simple. It's at Pritchard show next week. As I said, it's great American bash 2005, which went down on July 24th. 
The main event of that show is JBL versus Batista for the world heavyweight championship. We've also got Ray Mysterio working with Eddie. And, uh, this is the famous thing where Guerrero is yeah, going to reveal on. a secret. Sorry. That's okay. Anyway, this undercard, something else here, Legion of doom taking on Eminem Booker T working with Christian Orlando Jordan with Chris Benoit for the U S title undertaker and Muhammad Muhammad Hussan, easy for me to say for the number one contendership, the Mexicools working with the BWO can't believe that's a real thing. Uh, Molina and Tori Wilson. And as we said a minute ago, Ray Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, uh, the, the deal here is if Mysterio loses. Guerrero was going to reveal his secret on live TV. That's what we're doing next week. I went down in Buffalo, New York, July 24th, and it's going to be in your ear holes on July 24th, the exact 15 year anniversary. If you've got a question for us, go ask it right now at Pritchard show. Uh, and that's how you can stay involved in everything that we're doing. By the way, I realized we had a lot of ads this week. I want to remind you, you can get all of our shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. You would have gotten this show at least a day early. Uh, and as we said, uh, without any commercial interruption. So join us in all the fun we're having over there at adfreeshows.com. There's some great bonus content over there, including video of Jr. and Tony Schiavone doing some road trips together. Oh, uh, and, and maybe my favorite new thing, Eric Bischoff blasting people who have fired off on him in shoot interviews. I'll play a clip of said shoot interview. And then he responds. It's gold. It's called Eric fires back. We've got a couple of new fun things coming your way. Stay tuned over at adfreeshows.com. But without further ado, let's get to some Twitter questions that you guys had about in your house. Number two. All right, Bruce, number one. And this is a fun question for us. Uh, Rajiv wants to know, was there a possibility of a second house giveaway? Or was that more of a one-time thing? I do think a lot of people watch the second in your house thinking, oh, they must be giving away another house. <laughs> Maybe that was the reason we gave away the first one. So put that subliminally in people's mind, but no, that was never a option. Uh, Pender J wants to know, did you guys sell a lot of these event specific shirts? It seems like they're cheesy, but cool at the same time. Not really, but we didn't make a whole lot of them. You know what I mean? Right. It was, they were there, but we didn't, there weren't a whole lot to be had. Steve wants to know, did you know at this time, the two hour concept was flawed regarding the 1495 price point, I believe is what he's asking. No, I, I, I don't think it was flawed. I just think it was different. The Rosen coaster wants to know were pile drivers banned in the company at this time. I'm asking because roadie wound up executing one off the second rope on one, two, three kid. That looks pretty scary to watch back. If not, was there any heat on him for doing such a move? Not that I remember. I don't think that the, the pile driver stuff was, was a little bit later. Um, Machu Spanks wants to know who dressed Mr. McMahon on this day and where did he get his wardrobe? You know, I, I understand what he's hinting at here. Does Vince have a personal stylist who prepares what he's going to wear on camera for him? Yeah, that would just be Vince McMahon. Okay. There you go. You all know it's scary. What's that? is my daughter just sent me a picture of Billy Gunn holding her in about, let me think here. Three weeks ago. That's not funny. <laughs> She's about five, four or five months old on the beach in one of those wrestle vessels. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. 
Uh, Rajiv wants to know, do you think this is Jeff Jarrett's best match during his run with WWE? I think it probably is. What's a, I think it probably is too. It, it was incredible. Uh, Brent says we hear stories of Vince telling commentators what to say through the headphones during a pay-per-view, but when he was on commentary, who's giving him something to say, you, you sort of hinted earlier that you were in gorilla. Would you have been giving him things to promote or little notes along the way, or who would have been in his ear? If anybody, it'd probably usually be me. Uh, Instagram arresting a story and wants to know who would have won with Jesse James and Jeff Jarrett at SummerSlam 95, if they hadn't quit. I guess the idea is, would that have been the start of the feud or would that have been the blow off? Like, are they going to keep that thing going? Or do you think that would have been it? No, we definitely would have kept it going. So, you know, um, they, yeah, that probably just would have been the start of it. And that probably would have gone to at least survivor series. Rory wants to know, was there ever a consideration of adding a Russian, like perhaps Nikolai Volkov to the team of bulldog and Lex Luger and making it an allied powers with multiple countries represented? Who's that from Nikolai? I don't think he's sending questions anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, no, um, yes, actually. Yes. And no, there was talk of just doing kind of an international deal, but never, never anything more serious than that. Uh, Mike G wants to know how did paydays work for talent who were there just being lumberjacks on a card? I know that's way in the weeds, but that is a pretty good question, Bruce, because we've always heard that, man, the pay-per-view payoffs are what you live for. But if you're a lumberjack, I mean, yeah, you're kind of involved in the main event, but not really. Uh, how does that work? I mean, you get paid just like any other day. Well, there you get paid. Bobby Salsa wants to know, and we got this a lot. Can you name one good lumberjack match? Thank you. Because a lot of people, and, and I'm not saying there isn't one. I think he's legitimately asking you, can you name one? Because a lot of people think this is perhaps the worst possible gimmick match, but I thought it worked in this instance. Where are you on lumberjack matches? And do you have a favorite? I don't know that any one favorite stands out in my, in my mind, but I do enjoy lumberjack matches when they're done properly. Josh Clemens wants to know what's the best part of the show and why is it Michael Hayes description of the roadie double J fight? I got to say in hindsight, I do feel bad for our, our old pal, Michael having to just pull some shit out of his ass here. Don't you? Michael's used to pulling shit out of his ass. So. Okay. On that note, we're going to wrap up this week's episode and we'll, <laughs> we'll be back next week. We're excited to talk about great American bash 2005. Don't forget, you can get all these shows early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com. Until next week, I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. He is stressed, tired, and sleepy, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock on. Gonna go take a nap now? (laughs) Have a good day, buddy. I'll holler at you later. See ya. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Good morning. Hey, this is Dave Silva. I'm calling from Save With Conrad. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing great. I listen to you guys all the time. Actually. Oh, man, that's awesome. Five, 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 all five <laughs> podcasts. Okay, so what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? 
Uh, I was just looking to try to refinance my my home and try to get a, a better better deal on my home as well as try to cut out some of my my credit card and uh, other debts that I had and I had worked with worked with Derek and he was he was amazing like he answered every question that that I needed answered and he was able to answer those questions as quickly as possible. If he wasn't able to answer things, he would get back home to me within like within like an hour with, with those answers. So he was just flat out amazing to work with. How much money was Save With Conrad able to save you? So they paid off my car, paid off several credit cards. I want to say in the long run, probably about 35,000, 40,000 for sure. That's fantastic, man. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah, man. I yeah. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate your call. And like I said, um, I listen to you guys all the all the time. I've listened to Conrad ever uh, Conrad Thompson ever since the Ric Flair show. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the five hundreds can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than forty states. We can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say, I hate stevensinger.com and you've heard us rave about his famous roses, but Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step. Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection. That is no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for more than two decades. But recently, he's kicked up everything a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online, too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.